The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hi, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast via the BBC Sounds app. This week, Lucy Chamberlain was my special guest, taking your calls on everything from fungus, mistletoe and peace lilies. We've also got some top tips on things you could be getting on within the garden, plus plant of the week. We go straight to your calls, and this week we start with Val from Steeple. Hello, Val. Good morning. What you got um, for us I today? I have a problem. Oh, how, how are you both, anyway? Okay. Oh, we're fine. We're good, but how are you? <laughs> yeah, fine. Super. Um, <laughs> yeah, a couple of days before Christmas, I wandered up the garden, and I have a, about a 30-foot silver birch. Um, around the base and growing up about two foot up the trunk, on the south side, south-facing side, there was a fungi. Um, it was very, very pretty. It was a lovely pink and it had white swirls. It, it looked like it looked like somebody had thrown blancmange at the tree, and and it was all oh, right. swirly. And yeah. the end of the swirls were white. Um, were well, they quite slimy, Val? Take was a it... photograph, and and I couldn't do that. Um, but what's worried me is now I've been out the garden yesterday, and it's it's half dead. Half the fungi has died away. Right. It's a darker pink now. But what is worrying me is that all up the trunk where there are, you know, silver birches got scars, haven't they? Yeah. In all of those places, it's full up with this fungi. Um, what should I do about it? Uh, I was going to say, you can't do a lot with fungi, no, can you, you can't. once it's on onto trees? You can do things to prevent them, can't you, as yeah. you say? But once it's... Um, I thought, for a moment, it was, I thought for a moment it was coral spot, but you know, it, it, yeah. it sounds thicker than coral spot. Coral spot is an orangey pink. It wasn't an orangey pink, no? No, uh, this was a, this was a pink, pink lemongy pink, because it was so pretty. Mm. And, and I was, was it, up, I thought, oh, look at that. And then I thought, oh, no, that's not good, because it, it's, you know... Was it quite it, slimy, it, Val? Was it quite moist, or was it a hard bracket fungus? It was soft. It was soft, yes, yeah. yeah. And at the so at the base where it joins the where it comes out comes out of the earth, that's where yeah. it was starting. Yeah, but it was only on that one side. It was on the on the south facing side. And how old is your birch tree? Oh, uh, must be about forty five years. That's, right, that's, it was yeah. here when we came, and we've been here forty years. Yeah, so. you see. Yeah. The trouble is the birch lifespan is not massive, is it? No, it's not. They're quite quick-growing trees, and when they get decay in them, um, it can very quickly turn soft because it's not a hardwood. It's like a, more of a softwood tree, and so they decay. Um, if you have got a fungus there uh, and it's attacking at the base, one thing I would say is that you, you need to be very careful that the, cre- the tree doesn't become unstable. So if that fungus is decaying the woody tissues and making them soft and um, if there's if the tree moves in the wind for example um, and sways around a lot at the base it might be worth considering having a tree surgeon coming in and looking at that that the, yeah. the birch can, yeah. just in case it's uh, it's become unsafe we had a, a birch at the hall taken out just a, a month or so ago because it had honey fungus toadstools mm. at the base and then right. we had some windy weather and i could see the trunk was really swaying so it had become quite quite dislodged at the where the root plate was yeah my, so, my husband did give it a push <laughs> yeah just to see if it was um unstable and he what happened he went to look and and he, it was firm it was quite firm. right 
Okay. But okay, this is the first the first time I've seen this. Uh, yeah. Fungi. It, it's never been on it before. It might take a little while. If, if it is a, a fungus that's decaying the wood, which obviously it sounds very much like it is that, it might take quite a few years for it to do any long-term damage you it's different fungi act in different ways yeah. and have different speeds of decay so you, you you could live with it you could do but as i say it's I just whether the tree becomes unstable sorry what, what should i do in the meantime scrape it off and well it won't that won't do an awful lot of good to um to stop okay. the fungus coming back because it's going to be within the tissues now of the birch right. tree and the, the fungal part that you saw is just the fruiting body um, so all the fungal strands will be in the woody trunk itself so um, you, you, all you can do is observe it Val and just keep yeah. looking to make sure the tree is safe and yeah. as soon as you think it's not safe um, that's when I would get a tree surgeon in to have a look and then yeah. they'll, they'll give you their professional assessment but when you get a tree, when you when you go to a tree surgeon, I know they're not the cheapest people in the world, um, but they they have problems with insurance. I mean, I don't have problems with insurance. The insurance is very costly for tree surgeons. That's why they're not the cheapest people in the world. But do see that you get a recommended one. It's so important. There are many people out there who just claim that they will do trees. You don't want to do tree. You want a tree surgeon. Hmm. Okay. It, this won't go on to anything else, will it? This fungus, will it? If it's on birch, go on to any any other trees we've got. I, what you're Down describing, to. Val, isn't one of the fungus that's that's general. So it's not honey fungus, um, which does have a broader host range. It sounds like this might be something quite specific to birch. Um, but you say you didn't take a photograph of it, or you did? I, and I couldn't find it on. The, I did go on the internet with the time I had over Christmas, right? Um, just you for c- a little while, but I couldn't find anything well, that looked if, like it. If you can, if you can take a I picture, now. are I'll, you? I'll take, a, I'll take a photograph now. It's not. It's not as it was now. No, no. Is it? Are you into sending photos to us via the internet? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, send it in. Ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk is the the web address, is the internet. Ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. Okay. Yeah, and then oh. we can have a more thorough look and see if it yeah. is. I would, I would imagine it's just going to attack the birch, from what you're saying. Um, oh, but we can have a look. <laughs> Fingers oh. crossed. <laughs> can I just tell Ken what I did with my poinsettia? Yes. What have you done with your well, poinsettia? You've been talking so much about poinsettias over the coming the few weeks. I have. And um, I, I didn't buy one until the last minute at the supermarket, and I got it home. And in taking the paper off, one of the branches fell off. Right. And I was really annoyed, and I stuck that in some water. And then I got a pot, and I put it in, and it was so tall, it was sticking up. And so all you saw was all this stem. And I thought, no, that's no good. And so I went and got the scissors, and I cut it off at the base, and I put it in the vase, and I put the vase in the pot, and it looked lovely because the flower was just (laughs) at the top of the pot, and it looked beautiful on my side. So that's what I'm going to do in future. (laughs) Have it as a poinsettia cut flower? No, no. It's all right. It's still going. Still going. That's what matters. As long as you enjoy Christmas with poinsettias, that's what they're... Oh, yeah. I've never tried to keep them going. No, no. No, I always uh, always claim to keep the uh, British um, houseplant industry in in work. We need to throw them away after Christmas and (laughs) start again. Exactly. Okay. thank you very much and Happy New Year. And to you, you Val. Yep, thank you very much for your fungal question. Not an easy thing to sort out today, is it, fungus? Because there's not 
any great remedies for them? No. Um, and I do think it, when it comes into causing to safety into account, you, we need to be so careful to make sure that um, we don't give bad advice. And that's that's something that, as I say, regular observations of any tree so that's important. looking like it's got decay, you do need to do that, definitely. Uh, 0800 4041, that's the number to call. Or you can text us here in the studio, 81333, and put Essex on the front. We go to Lynn in Colchester. Hello, Lynn. Hello. How's you? We're fine. What have you got for us? Um, right, I've saved some mistletoes. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Whatever they are, what they're yes. called. Yeah, berries, and, yeah. And I, want, I want to see if I can grow them in an apple tree. Right. And you want to know what to do? Okay. Yes. <laughs> you have to get them ripe, don't you? You have to get them ripe, yeah. So a lot of mistletoe, when it's cut for the festive season, has been cut before the berries are fully ripened. So... It might be that it doesn't work, Lim, but we all like a challenge and we all like to, <laughs> to see what will happen. So don't be put off by that. It's just that we just need to give you the heads up that the seeds might not be fully ripe. Um, and with mistletoe, if you ideally can, and again, I know this often doesn't happen over Christmas, it's better if you're trying to put it onto an apple tree to actually know that you've got, say, a friend who's got an apple tree with some mistletoe growing on it and take it from a tr- an apple tree that's growing mistletoe then you've right. got a much better chance of it then growing on your apple tree. I mean, we've, my, my, in my parents, they've got a massive big willow tree and it's got some mistletoe growing at the top of that. So I know that that would transfer to a willow, but it might not transfer as readily to an apple tree. So oh, right. okay. that's the ideal. But in life, we don't get the ideal. We get what we're given. And um, you've got some mistletoe that, as I say, I guess you just... Did you buy it from the market or where did you get it from? No, I, ju- I just took the berries off of a piece I saw in Marks and Spencer. Uh, Confessions of Lynn. And it, was, it, was just, it was just that piece <laughs> laying there. There was none there for sale. And it was just a so I thought, oh, I'll have three or four of those berries. Yeah. And what? Yeah. What? What's your name, Lynn, and which shop was this? Shoplifter? <laughs> Shoplifter? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, that's all right, we'll pull in your list. So, so what you need to do, Lynn, with your apple tree, um, don't be tempted to put them on a big, gnarly piece of bark. You want a younger stem where the bark's not too thick. So stay, say you've got a stem which there's the circumference of that is like maybe the thickness of a rolling pin, something along those lines. That would be yeah. great. Yeah. And um, all you do is you make a little nick in the bark, um, and then you press the berry into the nick because you're mimicking what a bird would do by sort of like wiping, uh, their, beak. wiping their beak onto a branch. So the nick doesn't need to be massive. Um, and there are um, comments about where it should be on the tree if it's got to be on the ideally on the the, sh- the shadier side because that's that's moister and on the underneath of the bar- branch again because that's where the moisture collects. So if you can do that, uh, fingers and toes crossed, your Martin and Spencer's mistletoe will bloom. <laughs> Right. The only thing is, my apple tree is um, a cooking apple one side. Oh, yeah. And grafted the other side is like a golden delicious. Yeah. How many berries you got? Um, so How many berries you four. got? Four. four. Two, two yeah, in each two side. Two in each side, yeah. and I think you'll be doing the right thing. Um, and Lynn, do keep us in touch and let us know how you get on, because we'll be interested. Plant of the week. Well, it's going to be a good one for you today. Rubus cockburianus. And you might say, why would I suggest a bramble? Because, yes, it is a bramble. It's part of the blackberry family. It's a very, very thorny shrub. 
grows up to two metres high at least, uh, and that's in a year. So it's a pretty vigorous grower. It's native of China and the Himalayas, and it, uh, it is a spreading, vigorous shrub. So do not put it in your garden if you've got a very small garden. You definitely don't want it there. Winter effect is absolutely fantastic. They shine out like a shining star. They really do. And if you put red cornice near them, the combination is gorgeous. Or you back them with laurel or one of the evergreens. They look fantastic. If you want to see a really good one, go to Riddle University College. And on the left-hand side of the entrance, there's a footpath. And there's a great block of them. And as you drive past, there they are in your face. What do you do with them? Well, the leaves are fairly insignificant. They're bramble-like, but they're a bit more cut. They've got cut leaves, but really you're not growing them for that at all. Um, however, there is a, a Cotburiana golden veil, which has got a yellowy leaf, which I suppose gives a bit of colour in the summer, but you're not growing it for summer. You're growing it for winter. What do you do with it? Well, you cut them hard back, late spring, and off they go again. It's as simple as that. If they get too tall, just top them off in the summer. However, what do they grow in? Any soil, any position, as long as they're not totally waterlogged, they will put up with it. But a reminder, it's Rubus copperiana. It's a lovely white plant, but don't put it in a garden that is too small for it because it will spread and it is a large grower. But come on, those of you with big gardens, go out and get one. And we will talk a bit of peace with Sheila at Hatfield Peveril. Isn't that right, Sheila? Yes, that's right. Um, I have a peace lily. I've had it for a couple of years now. It's in a pot of five-inch pot. But um, it's very, very crowded. It's got very a lot of leaves. It's very healthy. It's now started flowering again. Um, eventually, I'd, I'd like to either put it in a bigger pot... What is the root system like of a peace lily? Right. Is it dividable I, or...? Right. Now, I, I, I want to ask you, is it in a plastic pot? Uh, yes. Is it actually pushing the sides out of the plastic pot? No, it's not doing that, but it's a job to water because I can't ah. get into... <laughs> because generally, wouldn't you agree, um, Lucy, that they love being congested and that's oh, why I they flower so well, don't <laughs> they? <laughs> Yeah, it can't. Yes, but like you say, then the practicalities of it are you have that to when dunk they're congested, it. that's the only way you can yeah, do it. Yeah, they they become more demanding in the water mm. department because so, they're yeah. What would you do? Repot it or split it? Do you think, Lucy? Well, sh- they can be split because they produce lots of shoots from a crown, mm. and any plant that does that can, in theory, be split. A bit like rhubarb. Yeah, exactly. So, Sheila, if you wanted to split your peace lily up, then you could do that. Or, alternatively, you could simply put it into a larger pot. So you've got yes. the two options. What, uh, would you like to pot it up or would you rather split it? I, I, I don't really want anything bigger. Right. I mean, it's indoors, you know, and I mm-hmm. haven't got all that much room. And if it could be divided, I would do that. Yeah, OK. Does well, it have to have any special soil or is it just any... 
No, I mean any any house plant compost would be fine. Yeah. The 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 more crucial part is to get the division right. Yeah. Um, and whenever you split up any plant, including the peace lilies or any house plants or herbaceous perennials, it's important to make sure that you retain a decent sized part of crown. Right. in each of the divisions so yeah. if you've got an old bread knife i too i find they're very useful for splitting plants up um so i take the so this, the latin name for this is spathophyllum isn't it the piece yeah, so you take that out of its container yeah. have a look at the root system and i would also keep the get the root system relatively we don't get soggy but it wants to be moist because you'll find then when you're trying to tease the roots apart when you are dividing the lily up they they come apart nicely if the compost is dry it can sometimes just tear at the roots. They're a bit so, more brittle. So you can actually plunge the pot in a bowl of tepid water, mm. let the bubbles come out, all the bubbles come out, and then you know that the compost is nice and nice moist. Nice and moist, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it's just a case of getting a, as I say, use a bread knife, and if you can with your fingers, try to gently tease the root system apart as much as you can. But there will come a point where you then have to slice through the woody crown of yeah. the lily. And that's right. where you get your bread knife, and if you can, try and do it as symmetrically as possible. So each division, each of your two divisions, is a good, decent size and has got a good root system attached to it. And just go nice and slowly, start at the top, Lay the, lay the lily on some newspaper or something like that so you don't make too much of a mess. So then get the bread knife, gradually slice through the plant so you've got two equal-sized divisions. And then, I say most garden centres now, because house plants are having a surge in popularity again, they will, will readily sell bags of house plant compost. And that's all yeah. you need. They don't need anything special like an aerocaceous compost or a really sandy compost. A general no. house plant compost will be fine. Okay. Um, and so, and then pop, them, pop both divisions back up into a new container as quickly as you possibly can. Would right. you do it now or would you wait? Just to, yeah, that's just what I was to, going to say. Would you hmm. do it now or would you wait a couple of months so that we, the light levels are a little better? Or do you not do think that's Do you know what? Necessary? I think actually this time of year or going into spring is the perfect time because the plant is... I know houseplants, if they don't have a dormant period as such because we keep them in growth by hmm. keeping them in the warmth. So I, I would say just do it, do it now. I wouldn't say there's any hmm. risk about doing it now. All right, then. Thank okay, Sheila. And good luck. Just Thank just... you. Bye. That's a pleasure. That's Sheila from Hatfield Pevera, who's called us on 0800 111 I said Karen had sent us a question. She says, I have some amaryllis bulbs that have flowered beautifully over Christmas, but are now dying off. What do I do with the bulbs once the flowers have drooped or dropped? Do I remove the bulbs from the pots or just leave them in? And that's Karen in Stanford. I do like an amaryllis, Ken, don't you? They're pretty impressive, aren't, aren't they? they? They're huge, big things. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And their colours can be very vivid at the time of year when everything's a bit dull and dreary. So. The only downside is you've now got to look after it because <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> Haven't exactly. you? And exactly. if you've got too many, you don't know where to put them, do uh, you? Well, you know? we have them at the hall. The owner of the hall, Peter, he has a lovely collection of amaryllis, and I do look after them for him when they're not flowering, because they're lovely when they flower, as you say, but they do spend quite a few months of the year just not looking flowering. like an, a, a, a daffodil on steroids. They've just got the big bulb, loads of leaves, 
nothing much special to look at, but you do need to keep them in growth for quite a long time once they've flowered. So the flower spike... Sorry, yes, Yeah, do you let the flower spike die back down, don't you, before yes, you remove it? you can do. You can do. You can that do, helps you can, the bulb. Yeah, you can take off the, like you say, the actual dead flowers themselves. But then what you're wanting to do is keep that bulb in growth for a little while. Often they've, they're forced to flower at Christmas time. But you want to keep watering and feeding that plant... Uh, so a liquid fer- uh, houseplant fertiliser, nice, well-balanced fertiliser, uh, and keep it well watered right through up until, would you say, something like uh, going into yeah. the summer? Oh, yes. Because you've, what you've got to try and do with any bulb, they're this massive big storage organ, but they need to be well-fed and watered so that they can store lots of energy in order to then come into growth and flower the following year. So keep them well-watered and fed. Put them somewhere where they're not in full display because they don't look very nice. We put ours in a, in a nice greenhouse around the back of the kitchen garden and they sit there quite happily and I water them, keep them fed with a liquid fertiliser. I was going to say good liquid fertiliser helps doesn't it? Yeah exactly, nice well balanced liquid fertiliser right through until the summer and then in the autumn I dry them off so I reduce the watering, I stop feeding and I lay the pots on their side I don't do anything to them the leaves gradually with that treatment will die back of their own accord it can take sometimes a good six, eight weeks to do so. So this is why start doing this drying off period around maybe late August going into September if you want them to then flower for the Christmas. So let the leaves die back and then in late autumn, repot them up again, put them in a good houseplant compost um, and then with a bit of warmth, liquid feed, bit of water, they will come into growth and hopefully flower again. Flower again. They are. That was a good rundown from for Karen in Stamford. Uh, she'd sent us a text you can send texts on 81333 start your message with your word Essex uh, Hi Ken, listening to your gardening hour hearing about silver birch trees can I grow one in a container or planter? Yes. Yeah, yeah you can do, especially one of those lovely multi-stemmed ones yeah. because then they don't have so much height because the, the native birch, the Betula pendula is normally a sort of single stemmed tree that can, the, the ladies next door to us have got a massive one in their garden and they can get really really big um, so if you want to grow one in the pot the, the Betula utilis var, Jack Montii or Grayswood Ghost, those are lovely lovely varieties that tend to be more feathered with a multiple stem so the height is not quite so significant, they're lower trees um, and then they would be, I would say, just easier to look after in a container. So they are. And use John Innes in the container when you plant it, wouldn't you? Yes. Number yeah, any, three. Yeah, two or three, like you say, is a nice loam-based yeah. compost. Any, anything that's woody and is going to be in a container for a good number of years, you don't want to be using multi-purpose compost because that tends to be based more on fibrous coil or peat or whatever it would be. And that tends to, after time, decay and slump, whereas the loam component of the John Inners holds its structure a lot better and it won't slump last longer exactly exactly so yeah here's one especially for you from Teresa hello and good morning I'd like to make a vegetable plot in my garden Teresa well done Uh, I'm a novice I'm using railway sleepers can you give me advice on how to prepare the ground I've grass grass at the moment. Can I start directly on top of adding topsoil? If so, how much? Any advice on a very welcome? I would like to grow potatoes, carrots, onions, cabbage, etc. I've grown runner beans and potatoes and tomatoes um, in pots, but would like to be more adventurous. Lovely. How exciting. That's a good one, isn't it? That's a whole gardening episode in itself, Kim. We could just talk about that for the <laughs> remaining 33 now, minutes. Now, personally, I would dig the grass 
at least break it up yeah. so it's not a pan. Definitely, yes, because grass is, like you say, it's very fibrous and it would decay over time. Yeah. But really, if you're wanting to grow things like parsnips or carrots or anything with a taproot, um, the, when it hits the grass level, it might fork and, and distort. So, yeah, I would, I would break do it that. Up. I know it's easier not to, but really you'll get better results if you can dig that over and break it up, Teresa. So that's, um, that's the bad news. But the good news is that there's, there's uh, yeah, growing vegetables in your garden. It's such a rewarding thing to do. I, I look after a wall kitchen garden in Essex and I've got my own kitchen garden at home. Absolutely love it. It's part of my in my blood. So um, well done for deciding to. It's your upbringing on the on, I, the, on the. I know, I know. <laughs> my father would be very proud that <laughs> I do love growing fruit and veg. So, um, but yes, if you want to create a vegetable garden at home, uh, railway sleepers now they're not treated with creosote. So um, because they the people used to use those as edging because they're very sturdy and, and weighty and they wouldn't budge, but they'd ooze tar and creosote out in hot weather, which is very unpleasant. These <laughs> days you can't buy those anymore. They've all been taken away. Even the Russian ones. Do you know they used to bring them in from Russia? Really. Yes, yeah. yeah. I think it's mind-blowing, you know, where they used to get these poor poor railways that were obviously denuded from sleepers completely across the world. But anyway, yes, we're better off. Would yeah. you, actually, out of interest, would you use hardwood or would you use softwood ones? Because softwood will not last as long. No, it? it doesn't. You can get beech and oak, can't yes, you? Yes, yeah, you can. And if you, if you can stretch to it, trees, and then go for something that's going to last you longer. Yeah. Um, because once you've made the beds and you've got the soil in the beds then they're, and they're it's raised done, up, you don't really want the the wood to be decaying because then obviously you've got maintenance to think about a few years down the line if you can stretch to going for something hard well then i would i would definitely do so um and you mentioned was it runner beans ken runner beans growing? she's grown yeah, in, containers. in containers now they would do a lot better in the ground they would, because they? they have quite an extensive root system so they will be uh, really nice to grow in those um, those raised beds when it comes to positioning in the beds you have i don't know if we've mentioned that in the in was it an email this one that came yes through? an email yes yeah so um if you've got a sunnier part of the garden then and you want to grow vegetables there, then devote that to crops that really like the warmth, like chilies, squashes, tomatoes, yeah. aubergines. They would be really, really happy in a sunnier site. Things like French beans as well do better with a warmer soil, and also runners to a degree. Uh, and then if you have a shadier part of the garden and you want to grow veg in there, then stick with things that are more hardy so and leafy, like leeks, winter brassicas, so all your purple sprouting, your savoys, um, kale, all those sorts of things would be very happy in a more um, more shady or even a more exposed site if it sort of like gets gets very windy and blustery. Um, the tomatoes and chilies would be better in a sunny shelter they spot. They do like that, don't they? Yeah, so that's, that's something to bear in mind when you're growing veg. What we haven't gone, we've dug the, the ground over at the bottom, you've got to mm. add a good soil. Would you, it depends on what you're growing, whether you would add compost to that, wouldn't Yes, doesn't it? Yeah. Whether you're root vegetables or you're growing, as you said, green vegetables. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, you've got to a think a bit about what you're growing, haven't you? And that can be where the expense comes in as well, can't it, Ken? Because mm. you are, if you want to buy good quality topsoil, it's surprising how much you actually need to fill these beds up. We've, we've, as I say, created our garden at home from from scratch. And one thing we have um, had to consider is what we fill the beds up with. Um, we're lucky. So I live in Fingering home we've got a lovely light loamy sandy soil soil. which is very very nice so if Mm. you've got a good soil 
then I would consider adding at least some of that to your beds. But if you're wanting to grow, I think you mentioned potatoes. Yes, potatoes and carrots. Yeah, Yeah, they would be very happy if you added, as you say, some kind of compost. So it could either be compost that you've made yourself, but most people don't have the volume of compost in the garden themselves. So you might want to buy some bagged up compost from your local nursery. We've got one down the road from us that sells mulch and compost in bags. You can go with your own compost bags, fill fill them up. up, put them in the car, job done so um that is something to be mindful of and then maybe you could mix some bone meal in with the soil and the compost as well just to give the 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 vegetables a little bit of nutrition Mm. to to go with especially if you're growing things like brassicas brassicas do like a lot of nitrogen so um a nice bit of chicken pellets or something along those lines worked into the soil will be useful or if you're in a rural area maybe some horse manure something like that um yeah, so that's, that would be what we would dis, um, advise for the soil. Um, so what else, Kim? We've got the position, we've got the position, soil. we've got the soil. Yeah. We're there. Yeah. Yeah, and we and suggest the, all the different things. What were the vegetables that Teresa wants to grow? You've mentioned runner beans, potatoes. Have I, I think I've probably missed a yeah, few out. No, carrots, onion. Oh, onions. We yep. missed out onions, okay. didn't we? And She'd if like I was a beginner, onions. Teresa, what I would do with onions is I would start from with sets. sets. Yeah. So you've got two options with onions, and you can, you can either buy the seed and sow the seed, but it takes a little while to germinate, mm, and the seedlings are very, very... Um, they're very vulnerable because they're quite fragile little things until they get a decent size. So by all means, grow spring onions from seed. But when it comes to things like shallots or garlic or onions, sets are little small bulbs that you buy from the garden centres in the autumn or the spring. And you plant those as little tiny bulbs and they grow up to be much bigger bulbs. So we covered it all. I think we have indeed. And I hope, Teresa, to hear from you (laughs) and hear what you're growing in the future. You can send us another message and let us know. We'll be back to those questions in just a moment. But right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden. Well, are they in the garden or are they in in the greenhouse? Well, they're a bit of both, Ken. (laughs) But the first one I want to talk about is cheating is in the greenhouse because uh, you know me I love sowing my vegetables and I bet there's loads of you out there who are desperate to open up some seed packets and start sowing some veg so which ones can you sow well hot chilies like the nagas and the bootjologas and the uh, vipers they actually need to be sown in january because they take a long time to germinate sometimes a month and they're slow growing to start off with so get your hot chilies sown now also if you like growing really big onions like oh, the yeah. show the, the show onions for your mm-hmm. for your show bench they can be sown now as can pot leeks so if you're want to get into your village show later in the summer then now is the time to act and if you've got a greenhouse border then things that are quite hardy like radishes and um, hardy salads like rocket and mizuna they can be sown in greenhouse beds now now they don't need much heat do they no. but the previous ones need a bit of heat don't they what the onions and yeah. the leaves if you've got it yeah if you you would need to have those in a heated propagator you would, wouldn't you? yes you would yeah but radishes as i say and salad leaves you could sow those into a greenhouse bed and just it's just making use of the soil before you then get your tomatoes in later in the year so <laughs> think tomatoes exactly. you're looking ahead you know i am and if you've only got a windowsill sow some micro leaves so, anything else 
should we be getting on with, do you think? Well, if you feel brave and you want to go outside and, and you've got some tension in your body, then I would thoroughly <laughs> recommend uh, taking that out on your roses because you can prune roses in the winter. I know a lot of people leave until later in the spring, but That's I don't. That's me. I'm a yeah, March person. I know, I know you and I, we differ on this, but I, I do mine um, January, February time because then the resulting growth is stocky and hard and robust and it won't get knocked back if there's a frost. So that's why I always like to do mine earlier in the winter. Uh, so hybrid teas, because you want those to be having really big blooms, you want those back really hard. If you've got some old um, English shrub roses, they don't need quite such a hard prune. They tend to be more... Shaping, isn't it, really? Exactly, exactly. And then things like the climbers and the ramblers, pin them back against a wall or a fence. You can make them look beautiful with your... If you take a bit of time to get the symmetry right of the branches and then any side shoots arising from those stems that you've tied in, you just cut those back to spurs. Thanks very much, Lucy. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. This is from Sarah in Colchester. Sarah says, it's drooping. What does she do? Oh, Sarah. Now, actually, I had a bit of trouble because I actually, uh, I think it was about three weeks ago, somebody uh, again texted, no, I think they rang in and said that they'd got one, that the leaves, yes, it was with Dave, um, Dave and I were on that week mm. and we were talking about it and we were saying how drooping, it must be lacking water, you see. Uh-huh. So I said, give it a blooming good drink and see what it does. Right. She rang back, I think, last week and said that it had no effect and the leaves have now fallen off. So I didn't do very well <laughs> on that one. So what do you reckon if it's drooping? It, it could be too much, too little? Well, uh, yes. So, so poinsettias... Um, they can droop for a, f- a few reasons. And like you say, maybe if they're being slightly underwatered, they would droop. But then often you get a little bit of browning and sort of papery uh, look to the, uh, to, the, to the leaves and the sepals too. So I would, I would suggest uh, if it's drooping but it's still uh, got colour, so green or, and then obviously the, the white or, or red bracts, then I would suggest that maybe overwatering is the problem. Uh, you reckon it's more likely to be overwatering? Well, it can be. It can be because although they go yellow and drop as well, you see, it's quite they're quite difficult yeah, to work out, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, and also if they get a chill because they they are re- sort of hardy-ish, but if you give them a, a really cold spell against a cold windowsill, especially if they are quite well watered at the same time, uh, a lot of plants don't like to be uh, exposed to cold if they're simultaneously waterlogged and that can cause them to literally lose their leaves within a few days a week or so you walk past it and there's a slight breeze and as you do so all the leaves fall to the floor so um with the poinsettias you want to keep them moist but not waterlogged and allow them to dry out slightly between waterings uh i suppose it's worthwhile checking the root system kim would you say for things like um would pests be in there yeah, or do you think commercially I mean, that they... you know what i'm like the trouble is once a once a point set is sort of drooped and i'm, I'm what would you do with it would you ch- ch- i'd throw it away, away and yes. go out and buy one in a sale yeah <laughs> What do you reckon? Yeah, but I would say, say I would I would say yes, underwatering is one cause, but also as I say, overwatering, especially if combined with a chill. So that's what I would say. That's what you say. Yeah. Now we've also yeah. got um, who's this? Roz in Medway across the water there. Oh yes. Um, she says she's got a, a cestrum, right? Which she believes is toxic. Could it be harmful to her cat? Right. Now, cestrums are sort of, um, it's a mock jasmine sort of plant, isn't it? Yeah. Um, scrambles about. Actually, it, I thought it liked warm conditions, but we don't know where she's growing it, do we? So it could be indoors, couldn't it? Yeah. Um, the thing is, the cat has got a sort of, 
the cat has got to sort of um, eat it, hasn't it? I mean, do cat? I mean, I've had cats in the past. They they only chew on what they're allowed to chew on. They're not stupid, are they? I think you're right, Ken. I think that um, it's it's good to be mindful of what potentially can be harmful to a pet, but at the same time, applying a good old dollop of common sense because. Lilies. We know that lilies are um, potentially very harmful yeah. to cats, but I still grow lilies in my garden because I know that our cat Isaac, hello Isaac, you're probably listening today, he, <laughs> he doesn't go around eating stuff he in the garden. He will now. You've told him. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but no, you know, I, I, you just, you do have to. Um, well, you can, you can, you can apply whatever thought you want to it. You can be really cautious and take things out of your garden that you think could be harmful but I I don't the only thing that I've seen Isaac ever eat in the garden is going to be a mouse or a bit of grass he doesn't go around chewing any plants in the garden at all um so that's my mindset that's what I would feel about it but um if you are at all nervous about this plant and you think it could be poisonous then and you think that your cat would have a tendency to go around eating things then I guess that would some be cats a, a do. reason not to I grow mean, it I'm saying some cats do actually yeah maybe we've know. just got a very sensible cat I well, would like to think he's quite sensible. Most cats are, you know. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. fairly on the ball. But um, anyway, um, so they are. And in fact, I I, ha- I mean, I do have a bit of a thing and I get told off about it, really, because uh, uh, poisonous plants are something that I believe gardeners should live with. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> and I, I believe that you. education is more important. It's yeah. like, you know, do you take every... Every plant that's got a thorn on it out of your garden because you've got children. You yeah, know? I mean, surely you teach them to not. Well, and what about run into animals, bushes cats animal? going out in the wild? You know, if yeah. they come across a berberis hedge and they try and push their way through it, they're going to see the thorns and they're going to go. Do you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go another way. I'm going to go through that privet hedge over there instead. And um, foxgloves. Do you think foxgloves can? They're in the wild, um, yeah. self-seeding all over the place. They're they're poisonous, and yet. We let our cats out every day through the cat flap. They come back at night. They're in one piece. And um, I, th- I do th- I, I'm with you on this camp. I do think that... How about children? I treat children the same. Do you? <laughs> yes. Don't do that, Barry, because it makes you sick. Yeah. I know when I was a little girl, I was always taught never to eat any berry, which I think is good advice. Yeah. So Because we can communicate with our children. Except your family used to grow um, black currants, didn't they? And they're yeah. a berry, you see. So how do you get on with that one? Go out very, and pick those. I was very confused, confused as a child. So. Lucy would say, go out, uh, no, your mum your and dad would say, well, forget that. Go and pick that line of berries, is yeah, that right? She, they'd, be, they'd send me off into the greenhouse to pick tomatoes. <laughs> That's what they do. Another berry. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to Wendy and Lee now. You're talking roses, is that right, Wendy? Yes. Thank you very oh, much to you, Wendy. Uh, um, I, I phoned you a couple of weeks ago. I've still got my roses and they're still budding. <laughs> they're still oh, budding. Yeah, you're yeah. still budding. Lovely. Well, it's value yes. for money, isn't it? And I think, I think the thing, this is outdoors, isn't it? We're talking yeah, in your garden. Yes, yes. And I, yes. Think, I think I would give, I mean, I know Lucy said you can prune your roses now, but it does seem a shame sometimes well, to cut flowering, the flowers off. Yeah. We've got yes, some lovely does. icebergs, at, um, what we call the whiteboard at Donald and Hall that I look after. And they are still flowering now. And yes. it will come to a point where I think, do you know what, I've got to step in there with the secateurs at some point and prune them back because otherwise they don't get their annual prune. But for the moment, we've been leaving them because the owners can see the flowers out outside their their window yes, so yes. yeah well this yeah. is what it's outside our patio so you know it's they're lovely they're, and christmas they're red that's so lovely oh, well wendy I, t- I, I like the color theming you've got on there in your garden <laughs> that's very good so do you know okay. what the variety is of that red rose 
I've got no idea. I've got... I, I, I'm with you with Iceberg, because a long time ago in my old house, that was still blooming Christmas. I had an iceberg. But this red one, I'm not sure what oh, it is. It's enjoy a, it. It's a long... It grows on a very long spike. Right. And, and, and sometimes we've had about 20, 30... Um, roses on it. Oh, lovely. Yeah, they're, lovely. In, they're, they're small ones, but yeah. they seem to grow in a, grow in a long stem. About and a cluster, a well, cluster at the top. Yes, that's right. Ah, we've got one, that, one at the hall called Deep Secret, which is a hybrid tea, and then we've got a climber which is called Dance de Fou, F-E-U, I never yeah. know how to pronounce it, which is very disappointing because it doesn't smell, Ken. No, it hasn't got any smell. No, that was one of the ones that they, they bred for the colour rather than yeah. in that era re- of colour. It repeat flowers really, yeah. really well. And I bet I could find a bud on that if I had a hard enough look at the moment. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think for them, we've had, we were saying before we came on air, it's been really mild lately. Yeah. I think this week we're going to have some colder nights. And as soon as we start getting proper frosty weather, frosty weather um, yeah. I think that will put a, a halt yeah. on any roses budding up and yeah. flowering but for the moment in these mild spells that we get things do move forward and they do yeah. bud up and they do flower and it's yeah. just lovely to make the most of it isn't it wendy yeah. yes that's right and i've got a yellow one golden something it's golden anniversary or golden something yeah and that's in bud in the front garden well, <laughs> there you are, you see. gorgeous and sometimes <laughs> they're worth here. if you've got them in bud it's sometimes worth bringing the odd one indoors because sometimes the odd, they're yeah. opening a bit of the heat so that actually yeah. helps as well so that's yeah. that's another way of doing it yeah. Okay, I will do that. I'll bring it in today. <laughs> and talking of bringing things into the house to flower, the other thing that I always think is worth doing is, is cherry at this time of the year because you can bring in cherry around Christmas time mm. and that will actually flower as well. So that's something else that will flower do you know, indoors. Do you know it does make got, a mess because it drops that it drops little the sheet. Drops the, no, they drop oh, the, the, little, the little... The, the bud. The bud. The they bud drop covering. the bud covering, We've got um, the Prunus sapatella autumnalis oh. rosea. It's a big mouthful, but it's a lovely, lovely tree. We've got that in our garden that we inherited. It must be about 20 years old and it's in full flower at the moment and it looks gorgeous. Really lovely tree. It flower- so all, most of the cherries flower in spring, so sort of April, May time. But this, I say, Prunus autumnalis rosea. It's no, that's, is that right? I've missed out a word. Sub, sub, Sapatella, sorry. Prunus sapatella autumnalis rosea. <laughs> so it's such a mouthful. But it's, it's, and you get a white form, which doesn't, isn't rosea. So they and are. it flowers all the time through the winter into spring. Lovely. Winter, winter flowering cherries. That's easier to say. Winter flowering cherries. <laughs> And you see lots of them around at the moment. We're going to be back to those texts and calls in just a little while, but let's take a final look on the tips that Lucy has for us this week. Do you have, Ken, a bed or a border that's been neglected and it's run away from you and you're like, oh, this is the time to seize it, own it and get in there and lift anything that's all congested, divide it, split it, any shrubs that have got unruly shape them if there's any, any cut weed. to the ground exactly if you've got bindweed in, we've got a, a border at the hall that's full of bindweed Ooh. we're going to take all the plants out that we want to keep I'm going to heal them in in the kitchen garden I'm going to let the weeds grow in the spring and I'm going to get them and zap them back so you can this is a now a good time to do that how long are you going to leave the bed sort of half bare well I've got to leave it till about May Something like that, maybe. It's a long, yeah. It's a long, but this is why people put it off and they don't do it because it's a, it is a bit of a pain. Mm. But if you if you then put the time in and put the the effort in, then you actually have a bed that you can use in your garden rather than one that's riddled with bindweed or ground elder. So now is the time to take some action. Now's the time. It is. Yeah. Get out there if, as long as the ground's not too wet. Exactly. 
Yes. Just thought I'd like that one. Yeah. <laughs> What's uh, your next one? Then? Well, yeah. um, if all that sounds like a bit too much hard work, why don't you just have a have a think about your fruit garden instead and imagine we're in May and June and your gooseberries are swelling nicely and then you're picking them for a gooseberry fool or for a nice fruit salad. So... To get those berries swelling nicely and to have the, the bushes keeping productive, now is the time to do a little bit of pruning off your gooseberries. I've got some lovely ones at the hall. We've got a, one called Early Yellow Sulphur. Have you ever had that one? No, I've not eaten that. Oh, is that a, I take it it's a dessert. That's a dessert one, and it ripens too, a lovely golden yellow. And it is, oh, it is delicious. I pick them for, for the owners of the hall, but one or two do get quality control by myself to make sure they taste very nice. I had, a, I had an uncle in Kent who used to grow Levler. Which yes. is a, that's a sweet one as well. That's isn't it? good, and I think I think that's got some mildew resistance because mil- yeah. some some gooseberries do get mildew. The Hinamaki ones that you can get um, reds and yellows and greens. They're a new variety that's got good disease resistance as well. So, but pruning the gooseberries now, uh, if you if you have a freestanding bush, just go in there and get the congestion out to make sure that you get good airflow, which gets um, sunlight and uh, good air to the fruits, so that you don't get mildew building up. Uh, if you've got fan trained or cordon gooseberries. Just go in there and, again, just thin out any congestion, but also shape them. So the fans, you want some nice equally spaced branches. So if you've got new ones, tie those in. If you've got congestion, cut the old ones out. And cordons, the same. So just so people know, they're Mm. fruiting on which wood? Last year's wood? They fruit predominantly on one- and two-year-old wood. Yes, yes. So So you've got to be careful you don't over-prune, because then you wouldn't get any fruit. I just thought I'd throw that one in Exactly, exactly. When when I say take out the congestion, focus on the really old wood you always want with most fruit a continuation of nice young wood coming through so that's the important one yeah so there are tips for you to be getting on with and i tell you what the weather's not bad so get out there and get it gardening let's now go back to the phone that we're talking to margaret and margaret is back talking about mistletoe is that right margaret it is ken because I thought you should have a little warning. It's not a question, in a way. Sixty years ago, I I did the same thing and got some mistletoe to grow on an apple tree. The birds have improved everything by putting it on about three others. But I have lost two apple trees. They've absolutely taken, I think, all the goodness... And now there's one, there's uh, several bunches on a malice tree, which I'm watching carefully. Well, there we go. It can, yeah, it can it take a, over. Yeah, it is a parasite, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it does take I mean, it goodness is a from parasite, the plant. isn't it? Mm. And in fact, you see, I mean, there's a, it always upsets me that you see huge, um, of course, they call them chandeliers of mistletoe. Do they? Yes, That's chandeliers, because they are actually, they grow they in chandeliers. That's a very and good way to describe it, yeah. There's some on the way towards the A12 on the right-hand side as you go towards the um, the pub and the bridge over it. And I always think, why don't someone climb up there and get them? But they're pretty high. <laughs> they're as high as the house. So possibly that's uh, why they're not collected. Mm. But that is an interesting point, Margaret, that you've brought up, because, yes, as as Lucy's saying, they're a parasite. They will move, and the birds love the love the yeah. berries, and they just move it from tree to tree, don't they? They do. And this lady, she's got a lovely apple tree. I would think twice about doing it. 
Would you? Are most of your mistletoes too high for you to actually get and remove? Some some of it is, yes, now, yes. And have you removed it in the past because it's in the wrong place? Yes, yes, we have used it in the past, yes. And cut it out from the tree sort of thing? But now the eventually the um, mistletoe all started withering, and then the tree. And yeah. And both two died. Both, yeah, because they need each other to survive, yeah. don't they? It's what they call Pardon? a symbiotic relationship in that sense. Well, it's not though, because it's a parasite. So They're the parasites tree, are not yeah, quite. No, it's is not, it? is it? Sorry, I take that back. <laughs> That's my biology coming out. Yeah. Coming out. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> Anyway, it was just oh. a thought. Margaret, know, no, Margaret, I think that is what gardening is about. It's not just about having the right answer. It's There are several answers to every question. <laughs> and in fact, Margaret, you've brought up a very good point that if you've got, say, an orchard of trees and you're popping seeds into a few of them, you could be making a bit of a, you know, something for you to put up with in many years to time that's a problem yeah, that you then arises 60 years ago so yeah. it's still going on yeah. yeah so do you regret what you did 60 years ago margaret in, in a way i do because i lost a lovely eating apple tree yeah yeah yes. but, well uh, never thank, mind thank you very much and thank, thank you that's a pleasure and thank you very much margaret for your for your comments on mistletoe that's an interesting one that we i don't think i've ever had someone ring up and say that it died. can be a problem yeah yeah. Um, Florence from Clacton, she's texted us here and she says she wants, uh, she go, <laughs> she's asked several gardeners what hedge she should put in and she's had so many answers she doesn't know what. So she thought she'd come to us and ask us. She's confused. She's spoiled for Have choice. we got any suggestions? This is a along the path by the pavement. Okay, and where did you say now, she lives? Clacton. So you've got to watch. Salt. For I mean, salt, I don't, I it depends where she lives in Claxton because yeah. surely salt does salt go far in indoor in in land? It must do. Must yeah, it? it might do. It might be worth just looking to see what other people have got in the in the locality to to yourself, Florence, because um, as Ken says, salt laden winds can be harmful to certain hedging, but things like. Um, Grizzolinia and That's Escalonia, one, they're very good for coastal situations, aren't they? And they like it a little bit mild as well. So Grizzolinia is a lovely evergreen with quite large um, round leaves. You can get some variegated forms of that, which are nice and attractive. And that can be clipped to become more of a, a formal hedge, like, um, like say, a, like a, a, a box or something room. like that. Yeah. Yes, or a privet hedge. But if you wanted something like an Escalonia, if you wanted just an informal flowering hedge, then that's when I would go for... I say Escalonia, there's some lovely ones that have got uh, very s- sort of small flowers in clusters, but they, they range from white through to pink through to deep red. They flower relatively early, don't they, Yeah, in they do. So that would be nice if you want something a bit more informal and billowy. So I'd suggest those two as a, for the starting point. If you want something bigger, then you could go for maybe the... Um, you could go for the Quercus ilex, which is the holm oak, but you could keep that trimmed, keep that, that, that clipped into a hedging shape. I sometimes think that's not used enough. Mind you, it's not yeah. available everywhere. You don't find that in many garden centres, do no. you, as a hedging plant? No, and normally it's, like you say, the, the plants you see are massive big trees, but it does have the, the option to be planted more closely together and clipped into a very, very good, dense, salt-tolerant hedge. Now, what we're not hearing, because obviously with the message you can't, 
um, whether there was an old one there, because preparation is going to be very important, isn't it, to get yes. those plants off to a good start? Yeah, it is. So, yeah, so, I so mean, many people just dig out one, put another one in and wonder why it doesn't grow, but it yeah. won't, will it? Because the goodness has all been taken. Well, you think hedging plants, we do, I think we abuse our hedging plants. Because we don't feed them. No. We just cut them. They're planted so closely together, mm. it sort of goes against what we would, as, as gardeners, recommend for planting an individual tree. You wouldn't say, well, let's plant five apple trees you know, a foot apart each and expect them to grow really well. And the hedging plants, we cram them in. We don't really look after them. We don't recommend mulching and feeding and watering, whereas actually we should do. So even once the ground preparation's been done, in those first few years when your hedge is planted, make sure that it's kept well watered, especially during any dry spells in the summer, because the plants are competing against each other. Their, their roots are in very close proximity to each other, so they do need a little bit of nurturing and care. Mulching to keep the weeds down with a nice bit of um, garden compost or, or bark chips or something along those lines to keep the soil nice and moist and the the, uh, the, the sorry the weeds away. That would be really useful to do as well. And as you say, the soil prep, if there is an existing hedge in there, especially imagine if it was a conifer hedge, Ken. Yeah. Dreadful. They are incredibly fibrous rooted. Starved completely. Yes, yeah. So they would need to be complete. The root system completely yanked out. If you've had someone just stump grind them out, you'll bear, have to bear in mind that eighty percent of that tree's root system is still in the ground, and that would need to be actually taken out and dug out properly, and the soil enriched with compost or well rotted manure, um, a bit of fertilizer like like um, blood fish and bone, something along those lines, it would, it? to to really nourish that soil back and get up it again. going. Get them yeah. going. Yeah. So important. Yeah. So they are. And if you're if you're using um, if you are in an exposed <laughs> position, Florence, um, it could be. I mean, we don't know how close you are to exposure, but it could be worth buying some um, some not necessarily fleece, but one of the windbreak materials. Yeah, that's always good. And just putting that on the outside to the exposed area where the wind's coming. Yeah, and that's just to get them started, isn't it? Because it can't. Mm. It sometimes can look a little bit unsightly, the windbreak, but actually, like you say, it affords... For the it, first year, through the spring. Like you say, it gets the plants established more quickly, mm. so it's worth worth taking a hit on the aesthetics just for a couple of years, isn't it? Tamarics you could use. Yeah. Do you know what? I don't like tamarics. I Why you don't can. you like tamarics? It's pink, just, it I know, I just don't like the look of it. And you, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit sprawly. It's a bit sport, but each to their own. It's only my personal preference. It's a very good plant for a coastal situation. So Ceanothus would be one that might be worth oh, a go as well. Ceanothus is another one. Yeah, you see. yeah. As long as it's not too can... many, too much salt on the wind, because they do get a bit scorched. They can get they? burnt around the edges of the leaf. Yeah. So again, I would. This is why I'm saying to Florence. I think walk around your neighbourhood and just see what other people are already growing, because that is by far, when it comes to these questions that are very specific to your locality, that's by far the best measure. Because we're not there to see. That's the trouble. And Jennifer has texted us. She's in Hainaut and she says um, she's got a cyclamen that she was given for Christmas by her children and it is flopped. We're getting all that. You see, poinsettia with drooping leaves. Now we've got cyclamen with a flopped. Yeah. What do you do with a cyclamen that's flopped? Chuck it away. Don't. Chuck it away. You're oh, harsh. No, I won't. What would you do with you, it? You seriously? do the same with the poinsettia. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you not like cyclamen? <laughs> no, I do. But I do find that the uh, my mother, yes. is, her birthday is on uh, December the 14th. And every year she would she requests from me a cyclamen, a cyclamen which I always... Because I'm the This is the houseplant. This is the houseplant. This is what cyclamen, she loves. The big one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, she's learned over the years through trial and error that the best position for a cyclamen 
indoors a house plant cyclamen is in a cool room so hers is in the utility room which is not heated and it's lovely and cool in there the cyclamens last last for a long long time she doesn't keep them year on year my grandma used to do that keep them have you ever yeah. done that ken you can yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but what about the cyclamen industry You've got to think well, of that. I suppose yes. You're being a bit harsh here. Just because I was on about the poinsettias being dumped, you, you're now on about. You're right though. <laughs> no, the cyclamen. Are, oh, I was going to say they've grown generally grown in Holland, but they're not. We grow a lot of cyclamen yeah, in this do. country we because do. you don't need too much heat to grow them, do you? No, no. But and I, we're good at conserving energy. You see. <laughs> but yeah, a nice, a nice cool room. They don't want to be kept too wet they do like to be moistish but they don't want to be waterlogged because that can also cause them to rot and flop and decay so cool room a little bit of water but not soaking and that will allow them to flower as long as they possibly can you can keep them year on year what my grandma used to do was to again a bit like we talked about with the amaryllis earlier on you actually get them, keep them growing for a while and then once the, the 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 leaves do fade then you put the pot on its side and you can even put it outside by this time of year because it's probably going to be May, June. Dry it out. You'll find the actual corm there, the hard disc-like yep. structure. That will go fully dormant through the summer. And then you can pot it up again in the autumn, uh, start to water and feed it. It will then root out. And if the fingers, toes and eyes crossed, it will then flower as well for Christmas. And Patrick wants to know where kissing under the mistletoe came from. I haven't a clue. Have Do you know? You? I don't know. No, we no. don't know that one. We can't no. answer you that one. But can we answer Roger in Burnham? He says his miscanthus that he planted last year has been completely eaten by rabbits. Have we got any cures? Oh, gosh. Rabbit fencing. It is very difficult, isn't it? Because you yeah. plant grasses and they do get eaten. There is a, isn't there a... a Grazer, is it grazers? Yeah, grazers there's some, there's some or grazer? Grazers. There's there's various deterrents that you can buy that you can spray around on the plants, and it's supposed to make them unpalatable to rabbits. But if you, I'm a country girl, and coming from the country, I have attempted over the years, either by myself or with my parents, to garden in an area where there are lots of rabbits around, and honestly, by far the best. If it's if you're going to be staying in that area for a while. Get some rabbit fencing put in, don't you think, Ken? Yep, put it round them, stop them growing, and once they're big enough, the rabbits will, should leave them alone. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, or fence off the whole garden. Lucy, thank you very much for coming That's in today. Right. We my look pleasure. forward to seeing you in the new year, and uh, happy new year to you. And, and to you, Ian. and to your and, family, yes. Uh, yeah, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. Thank you very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme, take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. And don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, give us a call next week. Yes, Saturday morning on 0800 111 and be part of that programme. Every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. It's the Gardening Hour. 